0: Please rise as you are able for the reading of today's scripture from Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 22. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark made of cypress wood make rooms in the dark in the ark and covered inside out with pitch this is how you are to make it the length of ark 300 cubits its width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and put the door of the ark in its side make it with lower second and third decks for my part I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be made, they should be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every kind shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every kind of food that is eaten, and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, good morning, 945 service. It is so good to be here in the house of the Lord worshiping with you this morning. Thank you, Nate, to read it, for reading our scripture. Um, let's pray. God, just two requests this morning. One, that my words may be filled with your spirit. And two, that I not go into labor in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> Amen. So most of you know, we are here in the fourth week of our series uh, on, the gosp- on, on Genesis, on the human purpose. Uh, and if you're just joining us, or if you're visiting with us today, I'll, I'll spend a few minutes kind of catching you up to speed. So we're studying Genesis, this book of beginnings, which is the story not only of who we are as people of faith and our identity, but who we are as humans and how the creation came to be and what God's intention for us was at the beginning. So we began by listening to the creation poem in Genesis 1, right? It's that beautiful song about God inviting the creation into existence. Not coercing it or demanding it, but simply inviting the creation to be good. And we saw that on the sixth day, human beings were created. And God says at the end of that day that everything he had created was not just good, but very good. And so lesson one was that to be human... Means to be created by God and means to inspire pride in God. But then we got to the garden and we saw then that there was a problem that developed within humanity the problem of trusting the creature instead of trusting the creator. Or in other words, trusting what the world says is true and good instead of what God says is true. And good. And so when Adam and Eve turned towards the creature and turned away from God, they walked themselves right out of the garden into a world of toil. But the twist in that story was that God didn't abandon them, right? God clothed them in protection. You remember God put animal skin around them and sent them on their way. So lesson two was that even though our trust in God sometimes fails, God's trust in us never does. And then last week we came to Cain and Abel and we saw the human capacity for violence in Cain's murder of his brother. But even then, God still did not abandon Cain. God marked him. Davis said it was the first tattoo of the Bible. God marked him as protected and kept him safe. So lesson three was that the human, purpo- of the human purpose is that God extends God's grace even to those who seem beyond hope. And now we come to the story of Noah. Noah, many generations later, who the scripture says was a righteous man. And sometimes when we talk about Noah's ark in the church, we kind of want to paint this pretty picture that you see up on the screen, right? We want to think about the happy little ark and the happy animals two by two. And isn't it just so sweet? And so in that spirit, I have a joke. Every sermon needs a joke, and I couldn't find out where else to put it, so I put it here. Which animal on Noah's Ark had the highest level of intelligence? Any guesses? What do you think? The giraffe, the child in the room, knows the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. We often equate Noah's Ark with humor, with childlike laughter, with lightheartedness. But here's what the text really says. We didn't read this part, but it's a few verses later. It says, The waters swelled so mightily on the earth that all the mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The water swelled above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, swarming creatures that swarm human beings, everything on dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, human beings and animals and creeping things and birds of the air, they were blotted out from the earth. And that doesn't seem so happy. In fact, it seems really contradictory to God's character that we've seen so far. It seems really outside of who God is, this God that has been so consistently on the side of humanity until now. And so my question is, what changed from that beautiful creation poem of Genesis 1 to this devastating flood of chapter six? And to begin to try and answer that question, I wanna go back to Adam, because I find it striking how many similarities there are between Adam and Noah. Adam, remember, was God's crowning achievement in creation. Adam made God so proud. Adam walked with God in the garden. He was given the responsibility of caring for all of the animals of the earth. And when Adam turned away from God, God covered him in protection and allowed him to live life on his own terms, according to his will instead of God's will. Noah also made God proud. Noah also walked with God. And was also given the responsibility of caring for the earth's creatures. Noah and his family were also covered in protection in the ark through the flood. Noah is like Adam in that he knows and he understands God's will, but he's different from Adam because he seems to obey it without question. So here we have a character that we think, well, maybe this guy seems a little better than Adam. Maybe he's a better version. Adam 2.0. So far, Noah is sounding like a pretty good guy, but the rest of humanity is not doing so hot. And it's not just humanity. The text says it's the whole earth. All of, all of creation is corrupt. You know, they're a hot mess. And here's the problem. Since Cain, the wickedness of humankind, has spread upon the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of human hearts is evil continually. And the Lord said, I'm sorry that I've made them, And it grieved God to his heart. It's very interesting to note that the word grief used to describe God's grief at this moment, it's the same root word in Hebrew used to talk about Eve's pains in childbirth a couple of chapters back and Adam's toil in tilling the land. Same root word. So we see that God has this ability to experience human emotions Let's flip that. We see that humans have the ability to experience very divine emotions, like grief and like pain. I'm willing to bet that there are probably more than a few of you here in the room this morning that are experienced with grief. And wouldn't you agree that a large part of the experience of grief has to deal with dealing with those unmet expectations? So maybe you had dreamed of a heartfelt reconciliation with a parent before they died but maybe they died before you got the chance or maybe it's not about the loss of a loved one but the loss of a future story you had for yourself the loss of hope from the loss of a job or the loss of a friendship whatever the reason we often grieve the fact that our expectations do not match reality So we see in the story of the flood, a God who is grieved by the unmet expectations God had for creation. God created them to be good, and yet they are violent and corrupt continually. God wanted harmony and community, and yet there's discord and killing. But here's what does not happen. I think we sometimes read this into the text, but God doesn't throw God's hands up and say, that's it, I'm done, this is a failed experiment, because we'd have a pretty short Bible. If that were the case, creation does not end with God's grief. In fact, you could say that God's grief is really just the beginning of something new. So we see in the lessons of Genesis to this point, God does not respond to human violence and sin with abandonment. God always responds and continues to respond with grief. Followed by grace. Last weekend here at the church, I had the great pleasure of sitting in with our BUMC leadership teams as we held our annual retreat. Some of you might know Cal Jr., Cal Turner. He's a member here of our faith community and he spent his career as the CEO of a little family business um, called Dollar General. Maybe you've heard of it. As part of our retreat... Cal was asked to come and share some of the lessons on leadership that he had learned along the way. And what he said really struck me. He said, anytime anything went wrong with the business, his dad, the CEO at the time, Cal Sr., would always ask, who did it? That was his first question. And so one day after a particularly bad incident, Cal Sr. came in and said, who did it? Who do I blame? And Cal Jr. realized it was a watershed moment. For the company, And he said, you know what? I'm not telling you. <laughs> I'm not telling you and it doesn't matter. And from now on, we're not going to ask that question anymore. We're not going to ask who did it. Instead, we're going to ask what happened. And then we're going to ask who needs help to fix it. I think God, looking around at the corrupt and violent creation, asked himself, what happened? And the violent choices of humanity deeply grieved him. But then God followed it up with, who needs help to fix this? And God chose Noah because Noah was faithful and righteous and obedient. And God gives Noah these instructions and these tools and lots of encouragement because God is preparing Noah and his family for the coming storm, right? God is equipping them to weather the floodwaters because God has a plan, And contrary to our popular belief, that plan is not to destroy the creation. Because when you think about it, that's not really what happens. I mean, yes, the flood comes and it is devastating. It is ruthless. And a lot of creatures die. And yet, through the flood comes new life. It's not an entirely new creation. It's the same plants. It's the same animals. It's even the same humans. God goes on to say later, I see that human hearts have not changed. We're still having the same problems, and yet it is a restored creation. The cleansing waters of the flood have given them new life. I have a word for that it's called baptism, it's called dying and being raised with Christ. It's called letting the water remove your impulses for violence and vengeance and destruction and letting the spirit fill you instead with restored life. Jesus said, I am the living water. So when we take Jesus into ourselves like we will do in just a few moments when we come to the table, the water of life destroys our violence and our corruption and gives us new life. When Christ appeared after his resurrection to Thomas and the disciples, what did he say? He said, put your fingers here in my wounds. Put your hand in my side. See that it's still me. Even Christ, after being resurrected, was not made completely new. He still bears the marks of his suffering. So baptism and Christian community... Do not erase the violence that we've experienced or the violence that we've committed, and yet somehow God's grace carries us through anyway. There's a Harvard psychologist and linguistics professor, his name is Dr. Steven Pinker, and he has spent his whole career studying violence across cultures and and across history, and he has, through his research, said, the first question we often wanna ask ourselves when we experience violence or we turn on the news and we see another horrific act of violence, is we say, how can human beings do this? What makes us capable of such atrocities? What is it about human nature that allows this to happen? But Dr. Pinker, through his career, has said, I think there's a better question we should be asking. He says, what if we asked, what is it about human nature that allows us to refrain from doing these things? What is it about human nature that allows us to live in greater peace and cooperation than we've ever done before? And we're Christians, so we have an easy answer to that. We call it grace. The thing that allows us to deny our desire for violence and embrace a peace that passes all understanding is visible on the cross. So when we see the rainbow at the end of this Noah's story, We realize that it represents this all-encompassing image of God's grace. That God promises Noah, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God is basically saying, from this point on, no matter what, I'm with you. I know you're still going to be violent. I know you'll still experience grief and loss. But because of that, not in spite of it, because of that... I am not going to leave your side. It's calming to think that in the midst of the storms of our lives, it is when we're overwhelmed by grief or pain or suffering or anger that God will not abandon us. Just like God clothed Adam and Eve in the animal skin, just like God marked Cain as protected, just like God brought, his, brought Noah and his family out of the flood, God has provided for you. No matter what you're going through or what you've done, God is with you. But just like Noah, we have some instructions to help us along the way. We have some work to do. Paul says in Romans that it's time to put aside quarreling. It's time to put aside jealousy and clothe ourselves instead in Christ. James writes it like this. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings at war within you? You want something and don't have it, so you commit murder. You covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You don't have because you don't ask. Or you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. All of the lessons of Genesis that we have heard so far are summed up in this text. Trust in God, not the creature. Give up disputes and conflicts. You are loved by God. Give up your selfish desires. Last week, Davis asked us, in the words of Jesus, who will accept the last blow without returning one? Who is willing to put down their swords, turn the other cheek, Overcome the desire for an eye for an eye, because reconciliation is not just a gift we offer, offer to our enemies or to our neighbors, but it's a gift we offer to God. So what is the lesson for today, this fourth week? What is the takeaway? If you've heard nothing else this sermon, I want you to hear this. Human violence grieves God's heart, but God's grief is always followed by God's grace we're only human. We have violent impulses in our hearts. We wish to hurt people, especially the ones that have hurt us. But hear this good news. We're only human, and God's grace restores us. And we have the capacity to do harmful things, but we also have the capacity to not do harmful things. And that's what Jesus taught us. So the next time someone offends you, Uh, Your kids bring you to the brink of insanity. Your spouse makes you see red. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone with a different political opinion makes you want to scream. I want you to remember Noah. I want you to remember that through our baptisms, we have been brought through the flood. We are now called to a different way of life. Turn away from violent impulses and run with full fervor to the cross. Because at the foot of that cross is where we are showered, not just with God's grief, which is there, but with abundant and sufficient grace. And it will ever, ever be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.